0: Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Last time we looked at Paul's passionate desire to know Christ. Now, knowing Christ does not just mean knowing about him. Now, at the same time, knowing Christ. Cannot exclude knowing about him. I mean, if you said, ah, oh, I know my wife, but you've never actually talked to her, you don't know anything about her, well, I don't think you know your wife. At the same time, you can know all the information in the world about her and not really know her. In the same way, you cannot know Christ without knowing about him. But neither can you know Christ without knowing Him. And that's why I want to recap what we saw in verses 8-11 through last time because it lies at the heart of what we'll be looking at tonight. In verse 8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is worthless. Uh, Paul compares it to dung compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And as we saw last time, dung might even be too polite a word for that. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Notice how for Paul, knowing Christ is very much part of connected to the idea of gaining Christ and being found in him. Just as Christ was found in the likeness of men, as we saw in chapter 2, so now I want to be found in him. Union with Christ is not just a legal concept. It is a vital life union. And this vital life union incorporates the whole of our salvation. That's what we see in verses 9-11. through 11. And we saw last time, this is, is, in verse 9, we see our justification, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We saw last time that Paul claims, and I think we can take his word for this one, Paul says that he was blameless before the law. So why does he need Christ to be justified if he was blameless before the law? Well, his whole point was, uh, the law can't bring life. So to be blameless before the law doesn't get me life. What does it get me? Uh, actually, nothing, because I die. And so what's there? There's nothing that is worthy of being compared with knowing Christ. The righteousness that justifies is the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Paul says, that is what I have found, that's what I have in being found in Christ. So I'm justified in Christ. I'm also sanctified in Christ. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. Notice these three things that Paul wants to know. First, I want to know Christ. The benefits of knowing Christ are splendid, but you only get the benefits if you get Him. Paul says that he wants to be found in Christ so that he may know Him. And when you know Him, two other things follow. I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection. I mean, Think about it. Knowing the power of Christ's resurrection, and and the, again, this is not just an intellectual concept to be you know, considered ac- ac- abstractly. No, to know the power of his, of his resurrection is to experience and participate in the power of his resurrection. Wow, whoa, that's, sign me up! This is that. You think about Jesus raised from the dead. Can't I? Can I do that too? But notice the third thing. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings well that does not sound so much fun and yet this is how you get to the resurrection knowing the power of his resurrection that may sh- that I may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death i want to be conformed to the death of christ paul says to share to participate in the sufferings of christ why does he want this because paul understands that a life shaped in the way of the cross is the only way to glory, the only way to share in Christ's resurrection. And so bearing the cross, living this cruciform life, leads to glorification in verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Notice, knowing the power of the resurrection is now attaining the resurrection from the dead. Knowing that power, we begin to experience it in part. In little glimpses in this life. But we then experience it fully when we attain the resurrection from the dead at the final day in our glorification. So when you think about justification, sanctification, glorification, these aren't just theological propositions. These are this is what it means to know Christ and be found in him. Because while these things are ours in Christ Jesus, our Our understanding of them is only in part in this life, and now when I say our understanding i 'm using the the word in paul 's sense because pauls paul doesn 't talk about knowledge and understanding just in terms of of sort of academic knowledge it, We in the modern world have divorced knowledge from experience, we've sort of separated thinking and feeling into these totally different categories and that 's where i I sometimes wonder when I talk about knowing and thinking, do we actually understand what Paul's saying? Because Paul's not trying to separate thinking and feeling. And so when I'm talking about knowing then that thinking, that's not saying we don't feel. What I'm saying is we should not pit them against each other. You cannot have doctrine disconnected from experience and you cannot have experience disconnected from doctrine. Paul's whole way of thinking is woven together. His language of thinking in Philippians involves the whole person. Just let's let's do a quick review of where we've been in in Philippians to see how Paul uses this language of thinking. The verb to think is used 10 times. Actually in verse chapter 1 verse 7, Paul says, "It is right for me to think this way about you." Now, if you look at your ESV, The ESV translates it. It's right for me to feel this way about you. It's actually the word to think. this This is how much in in modern English we tend to sort of talk about feelings. Paul's way of talking about thinking includes how we feel. We tend to divide these things. Paul tends to connect them. And then the next three references in in chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, are all woven together when Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, by being of the same way of thinking, by being of one mind. And in in verse 2, he says, and notice the way he connects these things. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Notice all the weaving together of the thinking and the loving language. For Paul, all of this gets pulled together and it's pulled together in Christ. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, this way of thinking among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Thank you, Mark, for having us sing that passage, because that's this is exactly what Paul's talking about in terms of the, 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 that Christ's way of thinking, his mindset, his perspective, is what should characterize our thinking, our life, our way of doing and thinking. And so now it's in our passage in chapter 3 that we encounter the next three uses of Paul's verb, phroneo to think or have a mind. And he says in chapter 3, verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And also in verse 15, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And then verse 19, regarding the enemies of the cross, their minds, their way of thinking, are set on earthly things. So by now it should be clear, I hope, that Paul's talking when he talks about thinking, this is not a, an academic concept. Our thinking, this common mind that we are to share, is nothing less than the mind of christ it 's a cruciform cross shaped way of life that puts the needs and interests of others ahead of our own and and No one can accuse paul of, of in this way of thinking of of being devoid of action because thinking for Paul includes both our experience of our union with Christ as well as our action that flows from being conformed to the image of Christ. So let's see how Paul fleshes this out in, in the second half of Philippians 3, because Paul starts by pointing out that he has not yet attained to what he thinks. Notice that Paul understands that, that oftentimes, I mean, after all, when you think about how our, our, our culture tends to think in terms of, ah, we have a problem in our society, what's the solution? Education. If we just help people think the right things, then they'll do the right things. But it doesn't work. Why? Because we're not just brains on a stick. We don't just, oh, now I think the right way, so I'll act the right way. Paul himself says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verses 12 to 14 are crafted to emphasize the continual pursuit of what is already ours in Christ. You might say, wait, if it's already ours, then why do we have to pursue it? Well, listen to Paul. He says, not that I have already attained. He's only going to use two verbs in all this. But not that I've already attained this, lambano, but I pursue, I press on, that I may reach, make it my own. This is the, it's kata the lambano, it's the same root verb as I haven't already attained, but I want to attain. I want to reach, that I may make it my own. And I do not reckon to have reached, to have made it my own, But I pursue, I press on toward the goal. The effect of this is to emphasize the pursuit, the pressing on, the constant pushing forward that must characterize the Christian life. I love how John Chrysostom puts this. He says, consider how the pursuer strains in his pursuit He sees nothing. He thrusts away all who impede him with great force. He cherishes his mind, his eye, his strength, his soul, and his body, looking at nothing other than the crown. We saw this in Psalm 27 a couple weeks ago, and we see it again here, this pursuit, this single-minded pursuit of one thing. What is the one thing that you seek? What is the one thing that you are driving after? You might say, oh, there are so many things. Right, That's, that's our problem. We're divided in our souls. But notice how Paul says it. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Theodoret says it well. It was he who first caught me in his net, For I was fleeing him and was turned well away. He caught me as I fled. But now I in turn am the pursuer in my desire of catching him that I may not be a disappointment to his saving work. I wasn't pursuing him. It wasn't that we first loved him that He first loved us. He subdued us. He caught us. And now that He has caught us, we're chasing Him. We are pressing on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. My perseverance is rooted in my union with Christ. Christ Jesus has made me His own, so I press on to attain the resurrection. I press on towards perfection. It's a powerful statement of the the already and the not yet of the Christian life. Christ Jesus has made me his own. I belong to him. I am in Christ. And so I press on to make it my own. I will not be content with my mediocre understanding of these things. I will not be content with my mediocre experience of these things. But I will press on to become what Christ has already made me. And as if to re-emphasize the centrality of perseverance, Paul says again in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I'm not there yet, Paul says. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Christian life is about one thing. The Christian life is not a complicated thing. There is one thing that I do. Now, Scripture will describe that one thing in a variety of ways, but it all comes down to the same thing. Jesus says, "...deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me." Moses had said, "...love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength." Jesus said, "...seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." Here, Paul says, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus or have this mind in you which is yours in Christ Jesus. The Christian life is a single-minded pursuit of Christ and His upward call. It's the same thing we heard in Psalm 27 when the psalmist says, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all my days. This is upward call, this single-minded pursuit of Christ is, ironically, the way of humility. The way up is actually the way down. It's what Paul laid out in Philippians 2 as the mind which is to characterize the church. In verses 15 and 16, Paul urges the Philippians then to exhibit this common way of thinking. And when Paul says the Philippians should all think this way, He's he's not just saying everybody needs to sign off on the same doctrinal statement, though doctrinal agreement is part of knowing Christ, but he's talking about a lot more than just doctrine. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, think this way, in verse 15 here, is almost exactly the same phrase we saw in chapter 2, verse 5, when Paul said, "...have this mind in you that is yours in Christ Jesus." This common way of thinking, this common pattern of humility, considering others ahead of ourselves, is rooted in our doctrine of Christ. If you don't believe in the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, you won't have this mind. If you don't believe in his atoning sacrifice, you won't have this mind. If you don't believe that we are united to Christ, justified, sanctified, glorified in him, you won't have this mind. But if you believe these things, then you'd better have this mind. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, here, here, here's where uh, Paul's doing something here that the translation obscures a little bit, because Paul just said that he's not yet perfect. And now he uses the exact same word. Let those of us who are perfect think this way. You're like, uh, excuse me, Paul, what do you mean? You just said you're not perfect. And now you're saying, and so let, let, let those of us who are perfect think this way. Augustine paraphrases it nicely. All of us who are running the race perfectly should be aware that we are not yet perfect. The hope is that we may receive perfection in the place to which we are now running perfectly. And you might be a bit puzzled by, it. What, do you, what do you mean by running perfectly? When you're running perfectly, it doesn't mean you never fall down. It means that when you do fall down, you, you you repent and you get back up and you start running again. It's the, Paul's point, which is what Augustine's trying to paraphrase. There is that maturity, perfection. It's it's not talking about being sinless. It's also not talking about your grasp of systematic theology. Rather, our maturity is measured by how much do we think this way, how much is our daily life shaped by this. Single minded pursuit of laying hold of Christ. And when you think about your daily life, is your daily life driven by a focus on where you're going? We call this eschatological thinking. Eschatological thinking is not about, ah, thinking about strange end time scenarios. Eschatological thinking is: what is the end? What is the goal? Where are you going? If, if you think that where you're going is ah, I want to you know, have a, have a nice house and a, a nice life and a good job, and that's not where you're going. The question of wh- where are you going? Are you seeking Christ? Are you seeking to know Him, to be, that I may by any means attain the resurrection? This is a mindset of humility that is a mindset oriented toward the prize, toward that future glory that Christ has already received. You do not bear the cross because you enjoy suffering. You bear the cross, you press on toward the goal because you see Jesus crowned with glory and honor at the finish line. And Paul says, if in anything you think otherwise, I'm going to fix you. (laughs) No, 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 no. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Paul is utterly convinced that every Christian will develop this way of thinking. Now, it's interesting because the various branches of the Christian church have all sorts of different ways of articulating various doctrines. And yet... The entire Christian church shares this common mind, as summarized in the Apostles' Creed, which then becomes the pattern for Christian piety rooted in the humility of Christ. Only, let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul says, start where you're at and keep pursuing the goal. Verses 17 to 19 then reinforce this by moving from the language of thinking to the language of walking. After all, if we have a common mind, a common thinking, a common way of a way of knowing and doing, then it should move into the way that we walk together. And notice how Paul contrasts his walk with the walk of the enemies of the cross, verses 17 to 19. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their way of thinking is earthly. There are two walks. There's the earthly walk of the enemies of the cross of Christ and the eschatological walk of Paul. And the difference has to do with where is your mind? If your mind is set on earthly things, then you will have an earthly walk. If your mind is set on heavenly things, then you will have a heavenly walk, a walk that is characterized by the mind of Christ. Now, notice... Also, that imitating Paul does not mean imitating one who is perfect. He just said, I'm not perfect. He has not already attained to the goal of resurrection glory while he was living on this earth. But he does say, imitate me as well as those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is not saying, have the mind of Paul. No, have the mind of Christ. The perfect mind, the mind of humility that should characterize all of us is the mind of Christ. What Paul, When Paul holds himself forward as an example, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He is struggling in the same race that they are running. And so he says, run with me. That's where it's not that anybody should be like me or when you th- when you look around you as those Christians around you that you look at and say ah that's I want to imitate I like what I see in that person you, it's not that you're trying to become everything that they are but rather you see, when you see Jesus in them you see that's how I want to live and so Paul says Keep focused on me and those who have the same pattern of life because it is the pattern of Christ. And you want to be like Jesus. Verse 10, becoming like him in his death. You want to be conformed to him. And so what you imitate in in me, what you imitate in your elders, what you imitate in in those faithful Christians around you is is the pursuit of Jesus. Jesus. The verbs here are useful because back in verse 2, Paul had urged them to watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilation. Now in verse 17, he urges them to keep your eyes on the proper pattern of life. As he was saying, watch out for them. They're both verbs of seeing. Watch out for the bad way. See it and stay away from it. But keep your eyes focused. The verb here emphasizes that concentrate your attention on those who are worthy of imitation because if you don't you will be lured away by the enemies of the cross of Christ and uh, concluding in verse 19 that their end is destruction their god is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things they are earthly minded they are oriented toward the flesh they glory in the very things that should cause them shame and you know in one sense people you know people wonder who are these people that Paul's talking about doesn't matter, but it's not difficult for us to see the warning for us. There's a total contrast between the mindset of the cross and the mindset of earth. If you are driven by this worldly concerns, if what happens in this life is what matters most to you, then you don't have the mind of Christ. Or to say it another way, anyone who tells you that there's another way to glory besides the cross is an enemy of Christ. Anyone who discourages you from the cruciform life, a life conformed to the cross of Christ, has their mind set on earthly things. And all this, indeed one could say the whole epistle, is summed up in verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven... And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. What Paul's saying here is beautiful. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who humbled Himself and endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He has received the name that is above every name, as King of kings and Lord of lords, and therefore our citizenship is in heaven. And the power of that heavenly kingdom is now already a present reality in the midst of this present evil age. Paul is... He's not saying, because your citizenship is in heaven, therefore you must do X, Y, and Z. Rather... Paul builds his case on the character of the hope that the heavenly commonwealth provides. The point here is you have hope in the midst of your walk, in the midst of your life before God. You have hope because Jesus is already sitting at the right hand of God. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's where you already are in Him. And I know... Perhaps some of you were, were hoping that Paul would spell out the details of, ah, what does it mean to live as a heavenly citizen? Is, is Paul a two kingdoms guy or is he, is he a transforming culture guy? Uh, Paul's already told you how to live in every aspect of life, in every relationship you have, in every situation you face. You are to have the mind of Christ. Modeling the humility of Christ. Not seeking your own interests, but the interests of others. Pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Seriously, I want you to try this. Just try this, try this for one week. In every moment this week, when you're distressed, discouraged, uncertain, seek God's face. In that moment, draw near to him. Seek his face. Gaze upon the beauty of Christ. Wait on the Lord and come to Him. Pursue Him to find your hope and confidence in Him. I know, all of you are like, but, but, but what, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, no, that's what you're supposed to do. Seek Him. See what happens. If you just do that. If you just seek Him, that I may know Christ in that moment because what what Paul is saying here is that your hope in the midst of your pressing on is nothing less than Christ himself and from heaven we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body And here he's going back to chapter 2, the the song we sang earlier, uh, because the Lord Jesus Christ will transform. The word here is related to the word used in chapter 2, verse 8, when he was found in human form. That just as Christ was found in human form, so now he will transform our lowly bodies. And I wish they had translated this a little better, because lowly bodies is literally the body of our humiliation. We're supposed to have this mind of Christ that's all about humility. I wish they had just said this body of our humiliation. It's the same word used in chapter 2, verse 8, where Jesus humbled himself. And our lowly bodies, Our these are our bodies of humiliation. And yet, Paul says that he will transform our bodies of humiliation to be like, uh, to be conformed to, Again, same root, that forming root that we keep running into in Philippians. It's the same word used in chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul said he wanted to know Christ, to know the power of His resurrection, to know the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. And now he says that I want to be conformed to His glorious body, I will be conformed to His glorious body. He will transform our bodies of humiliation to His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Because He has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, He will conform our bodies of humiliation to, to you will be conformed to His glorious body. That's the hope that Paul points you to. This is the goal, the prize, the upward call in Christ Jesus toward which you press. And how will he do it? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Christ's eschatological power, that power that abolishes all earthly authority, making all his enemies, even death, a footstool. This power assures the fulfillment of his promise, which he had said earlier in chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. And that resurrection power is what has begun its work in you. You have been united to Christ. You now partake of His resurrection life because you partake of His Spirit. This is why you can continue to press on to pursue the upward call. The upward call of the cruciform life the upward call that we bear in these bodies of humiliation. And that's why Paul says, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. There are few sentences in all of Paul's epistles as loaded with terms of endearment as this one. My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. And he just can't help himself. My beloved. To be a citizen of heaven means that you press on through all earthly trials that you might attain by any means possible the resurrection of the body. But Paul's not saying, I do this all by myself. No. I do this with you. We do this together. We pursue Christ together as we seek to know Him, to humble ourselves before Him, this is not just a solo pursuit. This is what we do as the people of God. Because one thing I do, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So if somebody's asking you, oh, what are you doing this week? Say, just one thing. I'm pursuing the resurrection. I'm pursuing Jesus Christ. I'm pursuing this because Jesus. I, to make it my own because Jesus, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Father, help us. Help us to pursue you. Help us to pursue your son, Jesus Christ, the one who humbled himself and took our form, that through his triumph over sin and death, through his resurrection glory, he might bring us into conformity with himself that He might take these bodies of our humiliation and conform them to His glorious body. Lord, help us to have this mind. Help us to have this walk. Help us to live together as Your people. Help us to humble ourselves and not seek first our own kingdoms, our own glory, but that we might seek first the kingdom of Jesus and His righteousness. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us. Help us throughout this week. Help us in each situation that, we, that you put us in that we might seek Jesus, that we might find our contentment and our rest in Him. And Father, help us because we are pulled in all sorts of directions and, and it's so easy to turn aside and stray from your paths. So grant us as, to encourage one another. As long as it's called today, is that we might, that we might not wander from the path, but that we might find our peace, our joy, our hope in Jesus. Lord, have mercy upon us for Jesus' sake. Amen.